The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith in the Sunday morning service at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. All right, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, God's choice of you. Uh, election is a doctrine that's taught in scriptures. as difficult as this to understand. He tells us that God chose his people before the foundation of the world, that they should be holy and blameless before him. In this passage that we are looking at in 1 Thessalonians, in verse 4, as Paul opens this letter, he makes this statement. He says, uh, Beloved, I, am, uh, I know God's choice of you. And you wonder, how did he know? How in the world did he know? As he's bringing the gospel to them, how did he know that they were God's choice, that they were God's elect? Well, we're going to find out in this passage. Let me read from verses 5 through 10. If you'll follow along with me. This is 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. For, which means because, he's telling us how he knew they were God's choice, because our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we became or we were made to be among you for your sakes. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. That would be like saying if you came and preached the gospel in the Bay Area, that the word about what happened to these people went all the way up to Northern California and down to Southern California, because that's what Macedonia and Achaia were. They were the Northern and Southern parts of, of Greece, above and below uh, the city of, Thessal- of Thessalonica. Then he goes on, he says, because the word of the Lord was sounded forth from you, not only in in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place, your faith toward God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything. In other words, everybody knows about you. They can see, the report has gone out that God has made some massive change in their lives as a group. And he says, for they themselves report about us what kind of a reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. This is interesting. He says, this is the effect of the gospel. First of all, a transformation, a, a vision, a, a, the ability to see the truth about Jesus Christ. I, I need to look at my note here. There was, first of all, a transformation of life. This is, a, this is an outline I heard in 1963 about this, this little segment here in verses 9 and 10. I still remember it, sort of remember it. A transformation of life, they turned from idols to serve the living and true God. A vision of the task, they turned to serve God. And finally, a, an expectation of the Lord, they, they wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us. He is going to rescue us from the wrath to come. They were impacted by the gospel. And so what he says is that Paul knew that they were God's chosen people because of three things. The way the gospel came to them, the way that they received the gospel, and the way the gospel went out from them. The gospel had great and deep impact in their lives. We can't fake this. It happens in the lives of those whose eyes are open and they rest their faith in the person about whom the gospel is. The gospel is a good news about Jesus Christ. It's not good news about you. There may be some good news about you that we don't know about, but it's good news about Jesus Christ. 
This is what's true of Jesus Christ. The way that it's put to us in 1 Corinthians 15 is, the good news is, first of all, Christ died for our sins, according to the scripture. Secondly, he was buried, which proved that he was really dead. And third, he was raised from the dead, according to the scripture. Now, what he means by that, the Old Testament taught this. Isaiah 53 tells us that Jesus, this was 750 years before he was born. In Isaiah 53, Isaiah tells us that, that the Messiah is going to come, he's going to die, he's going to be buried, and he's going to be raised from the dead. And his death, burial, and resurrection is going to be the basis of our being made right with God. That may be puzzling to you. The Bible explains it very explicitly. And this is the message, this is the good news of Jesus Christ, that he came to rescue us by dying in our place and being raised from the dead and saving all those who come to him and put their trust in him. So what he's telling us here, what Paul is saying is, the reason I know that you Thessalonians are God's choice, that he has set his love upon you. That's what election means. It means that God has set his love upon a people. He cares about them. He loves them. And he says, that I know that you are God's elect, first of all, because of the way the gospel came to you. And what he's describing isn't something that happened in, first of all, he's not talking about something that happened in the Thessalonians. He's talking about what happened in him as he brought the gospel. If you've been a Christian very long and you've shared the gospel with very many people, you've had this experience where you were surprised by what God was doing inside of you as you were trying to communicate to someone the truth about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is what is happening with Paul. He's describing in verse 5, not the Thessalonians' response to the gospel, but he's telling them what was going on inside of him as he was sharing the gospel. The message is our gospel. He says, our gospel came to you. And you think, well, whose gospel is this anyway? Well, it's those who share it. The gospel belongs to those who believe it and share it. And this is the pattern of all believers for all the history of the church, that they have received the gospel by faith, and then they communicate the gospel to others. First of all, to their own family, and then beyond that, those that God brings in their path. They share the gospel with them. And he says, as I was sharing the gospel, something happened to us. And so the gospel came to them, this gospel message, which Paul says, our gospel. And by the way, you can call it that too. If you share it, you can call it my gospel. Our gospel, because we have come to embrace it and it becomes ours. It's this good news, you know, and it's very different than good advice. You've probably gotten a lot of good advice. I used to have a guy that uh, advised me about uh, way, way back, many, many years ago about investing. And, uh, and he was really sharp, but he loved golf more than he loved telling people what, how to invest. And so after about a year of having him as an advisor, he resigned everything and started playing golf full-time. He had made so much money from his investments, I guess. He could just play golf all the time. But uh, while he was giving me advice, it was great advice. But that's nothing like good news. Good news is what God has done in Christ Jesus. A lot of people think that's what the gospel is. It's some advice from God. This is how you ought to live. That's not what the gospel is. The gospel is good news about what God has done already in Christ Jesus, his son. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ, but it, it becomes our gospel as we share it, as we tell those about it. 
So Paul used to this word is quite comprehensive. And usually whenever he talks about the gospel, he's talking about some particular part of the gospel, some particular part of the good news, its effects in people's lives. For example, in this book, in Thessalonica, he talks about the benefits of the future in believing in Christ, that Jesus is coming back. That's one of the main themes of this book, that Christ is coming back to rescue his people and to bring them into the presence of God. And so in this book, the gospel includes the good news that Jesus is returning to gather his people and bring them into the presence of God. Now, the the character of their preaching, uh, how did the the gospel come to them? Well, he first of all says what it was not. It wasn't in word only. All he means by that is it wasn't just somebody standing up and reciting some facts to you. It was him getting up and proclaiming to them from his heart the reality and the truth of the good news about Jesus Christ. It was reality, earnestness, and power. Three things. He says, it came to you in power and in the Holy Spirit and with much full conviction. You've heard people talk about things they don't really believe. You watch that on TV all the time. But it's amazing how good they are at faking it, huh? This is the greatest product you've ever heard of. This, this will make your eyes turn blue. This will curl your hair. This will give you health for the rest of your life. All kinds of things. But this is good news. This was conviction. They spoke with conviction. The Spirit produced within them this deep and profound conviction of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you don't believe the gospel is true, you can't share it. And sometimes it takes a person a while thinking about it and ruminating on it and investigating it before they come to believe that the gospel is true. But the Apostle Paul believed it was true. God imposed himself on Paul's life in a very dramatic way. If you remember the story of how Paul heard the gospel when he believed, he was on the road to Damascus. And what he was doing was he was going there to arrest some Christians and to haul them back to Jerusalem and have them put in prison and await their execution. But as he's going to tell these Christians, to arrest these Christians, he meets Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. Do you remember that? And he is stricken. He is stricken with this light, this glorious light that Christ appeared right there on the road, and he fell off of his his steed, and he fell down on the ground. And, And... And uh, Jesus says to him, Jesus speaks to him, this is what he says, why are you persecuting me? And so Paul says, who are you? (laughs) He didn't know he was. This was the Christ he was persecuting by trying to arrest all his people. And so he says, uh, and Paul says, well, who are you, Lord? He understood he was Lord because he appeared right there in the presence on the road in bright light. And so Paul knew this was God speaking to him. And so he says, I'm Jesus Christ, the one you're persecuting. Now, he was persecuting Christ's followers. But his, the implication is when you persecute his followers, you persecute him. Because they are so tightly connected to him. And so when the gospel penetrates the hearts of the person giving the gospel like you, when you're sharing the gospel with an acquaintance, what it does, it produces change in you. It, it, it touches you very deeply. This is what Paul says in another passage in, in Colossians chapter 1. He says, we proclaim him, that is Christ, 
admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. What he's talking about is, I want to be able to, when I share the gospel with those who've never heard it and they come to believe on him, I want to present them to the living God at the end of their life. That this is the person who believed on that date, in that place, under those circumstances. He goes on to say in the next verse, For this purpose also I labor, I work hard, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. That's the power of God. The power of God's manifest in the life of those who share the gospel with God, the people that God puts in their lives. And he says, he also says, it, I, it, the gospel came to you in power and in the Holy Spirit. He indicates the source of the power. It's the Holy Spirit. The personal power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit empowered Paul to proclaim this message to these people. And then he says, with full conviction. That just means inner assurance. That means he really believed this. It's very clear. If you read the the book of Acts, for example, which gives all of the occasions where Paul proclaimed the gospel to different people, and other preachers as well, Jesus Christ himself. And uh, you can see their full conviction this inward assurance they had that this was the good news of Jesus Christ, which needed to be heard and understood. You can't fake that. You really can't fake that. Um, I I had somebody call me this past week, a friend who um, was telling, telling me about in her church, she said that in her church, she was just really struggling over this because they were, they were going with a church wide program and the preachers were preaching the messages that had been given to them as a part of this program. And she said, it's as though they're just standing up there and reading their sermons, and it's really disappointing to me. Well, that's because preaching, proclamation, means preaching from the heart with, with deep conviction that this is true. And it, that can only happen in the power of the Holy Spirit. And, the, and he says, this came from a... a firm persuasion of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I told you about the time I was sharing the gospel with a guy in, at my cousin's office, and, and uh, then it was kind of a pause, and he says, you really believe that, don't you? Now, he meant it as, a, as an insult. I took it as a compliment that he was actually saying, wow, you really do believe this message that you're saying is true. Yes, I do, absolutely. I believe this message. And I think every single believer, every person whose eyes have been opened by the Holy Spirit, truly believes that the gospel of Jesus Christ is true. And so when you share this truth, the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ with others, you can, you can communicate it with conviction because you know it's true. This isn't, A, invest in this gold mine and you'll get rich. This is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. You will enter into the kingdom of God. You'll come to have a true and real relationship with the living God. You'll become a child of God. You'll have a whole new identity and a new acceptance with the living God if you simply believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. See, the gospel is about Christ. And by the way, believing the gospel isn't, doesn't, that expression doesn't simply mean, I believe in the facts of the gospel. Yes, it does include that, but that's not the totality of this. Believing the gospel is believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. We put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the one about whom the gospel speaks. The gospel speaks about Jesus Christ. He came into this world, the eternal Son of God, 
For God so loved the world. You all know this. Let's all say it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now, in another place in the Bible, it tells us that eternal life isn't just living forever, which it is, but it also is coming to know God. Eternal life gives you the capacity to know God as a father, to know the son as your savior, to know the spirit as, the, as your great influencer in your heart. And so we come to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why you've heard the gospel presented in many different ways, many different circumstances, and you've heard people that, that are so convinced of it, and it makes you convinced of it. And then you've also heard people that cite it, but they, it doesn't seem like they truly believe it. It's, it is truth. It's truth that we communicate in the gospel. And he says, and you notice the messengers themselves, what kind of men we were made to be when we were with you. What does that mean? It means that God was working in their life because he wanted to use them as the messengers of the gospel to these people in Thessalonica. Now, if you know anything about it, we had somebody read Acts 17 when we started this book, and it told us how the gospel went to Thessalonica. And what, did it, what, caught, what was the results of it? Well, it caused a riot. They got very, very angry with Paul. They kicked him out of the synagogue. They drove all of those people who believed in Christ out of the synagogue. Paul gets driven out of town. He goes south in Berea, and these people from, from uh, Thessalonica, some of the people from Thessalonica, go down and drive him out of Berea. And then he goes all the way down to Athens. If you had a map, you could see this. He goes all the way down to Athens, and he is talking to others about Christ. This guy never learns. He gets beat up. He gets tortured. He gets run out of town. And when he goes to the next town, he does the same thing. He talks about Jesus Christ because he is thoroughly and completely convinced of the truth of the gospel. And he knows the gospel will change lives. And it did. And it has. And it will continue to. This is an amazing phenomenon that God works within people. They were made to be certain kinds of men as they brought the gospel to the Thessalonians. We were made to be the kind of men that you saw. And, and he says, that is what convinced me that you truly were those who were going to receive the gospel because of what God did through the gospel in your lives. He transformed you. He changed you. He changed us as we preached it, and he changed you as you received it and believed it. It's an amazing phenomena, this proclamation of the gospel. When you proclaim the gospel, all I mean by that, I don't mean stand on the corner and yell and scream. You can, you can speak quietly and share the gospel. But when you, when you share the gospel with somebody, God does something on the inside of you. It's one of the most thrilling experiences there is, is to share the gospel with somebody who embraces Christ by faith and receives the salvation that God has promised through those, to those who believe on him. So when God uses you to minister, to proclaim the gospel to somebody, and all I mean by proclaim is to, is to communicate to them in an appropriate way. If you're, if you're having to yell across the fence to them, then it might be yelling or screaming. <laughs> but if you're sitting right next to each other, you're talking, you're having a conversation, and you're proclaiming to them. All that means is you know it's true. And so you proclaim it. Guess what? Isn't it something how we share news with people? You're something 
uh, maybe somebody's told you that something happened in another part of the world. You have no proof of it whatsoever. You haven't checked it out. You haven't gone on the internet and searched Google. You don't really know if it's true or not. But you share it as though it is true. And then sometimes you have to go back and say, hey, you know what? I was wrong about that. It wasn't like that. It didn't happen like that. But with the gospel, what we proclaim is the truth of the gospel that we have in the word of God. The most amazing thing about me is we have passages like Isaiah 53, Isaiah 53, which was written by Isaiah 750 years before Christ was born. And he tells us that he's the one who's going to go to the cross and die for our sins and be raised from the dead. And all those who believe in him will have their sins forgiven and be brought into the family of God. Isn't that amazing? 750 years before the events took place. And Isaiah was giving this prophecy and explaining it. And today, this this passage, Isaiah 53, used to be read on a regular basis in the synagogues in the first century. It was a part of the reading plan. And so every once in a while, Isaiah 53 would come out. But after these believers said, that's talking about Jesus, which nobody could deny. Because if you read it, you can see this is talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one who went to the cross and died for our sins. And so they stopped reading it. They took it off the list because these Christians had embraced it and said, this is talking about our Lord. I heard a a Jewish rabbi say that he was so confused one day when he was reading his Bible, his, what we call the Old Testament, but it was, he was reading in the book of Isaiah. And he said, all of a sudden I came to chapter 53 and I thought, why is my Jewish Bible, my Jewish scriptures talking about Jesus? Well, because it was a prophecy about Jesus, and Jesus fulfilled that prophecy. He did go to the cross and die in my place. And he says that now this gospel that we have preached, Paul says it belongs to me. And and then he said the effect on the, the second thing he, proof he has is that the effect that the gospel had on those who heard it in Thessalonica. They heard the gospel and they believed it. And he says they began to become imitators. He says this is the way the gospel was received in verses 6 and 7. Notice this. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Now look at that verse 6. You you also became imitators of us and of the Lord. Talking about the Lord Jesus. You received the word just like we did and just like Jesus did. What is he talking about? Well, they both received it in much tribulation and in the joy of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I always obey my Father's commandments so that the world would know that I love him. Think about that. I always obey my Father's commands so that the world would know that I love him. When Jesus received the word of God, where did, it, where did it drive him to? Where did he end up as a result of obeying the word of his father? He ended up at the cross. Where did Paul end up? Paul ended up dead in prison. Uh, Nero had him beheaded because he wouldn't stop obeying the gospel of Jesus Christ. He wouldn't stop obeying the word of God. And so you say, well, man, I don't want to do that. I don't want to end up having my head cut off going to the cross. 
But you see, this is what this was the proof that they truly had believed the gospel, that they received it with joy, even though it caused them tribulation. Now, the tribulation, tribulation is very real. If you go back and read Acts 17, you'll see that the tribulation was very real. They were treated horribly. They were driven out of town. They were persecuted. But they were as happy as all get out because they had received the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, I've mentioned a book several times. It's called The Insanity of God. And it's about this, it's a life, true life story about a guy who had, who had gone to, uh, to Africa, to a very difficult place, and tried to take the gospel. And so many things went wrong. He was in a nation. He said that when I went into this, in this country to work with a relief company because he, didn't, he couldn't go in there as an evangelist, they would have, wouldn't have let him go. But as he went in there, he said there were 19 Christians in the whole country, 19. And he stayed about five years. And he kept going in there trying to, to disciple and, make, and proclaim the gospel and see more people come to faith in Christ. But he said after five years, there were no Christians in that country because they'd all been killed. But what he couldn't get, and so he comes home and his students say, you know what you need to do? You need to go and travel around the world and visit all the places where persecution of Christians is wide open and it's happening all the time and find out what kind of people they are and how this persecution has affected them. And so he did. He traveled to about seven different countries and visited Christians who were under severe persecution. And you know what he found out? He found out they were the most amazing Christians he had ever met. They had persecution and the joy of the Lord. They were imitating what happened to Jesus. He received his father's word, and where did it end up? It ended up at the cross. He died, but that was the plan. That was the purpose. That's why he came into the world, so he could save you. He died on a cross so he could save you and bring you into the family and give you a heavenly father as your father. It's amazing, isn't it? This is, this is what he did. And so he says, because I saw you receiving the word and, and joyfully receiving the tribulation that came into your life because you believed on Christ, that was another reason I knew you were truly God's choice. He, pr- he truly put his hand upon you and he brought you into the family. And so um, this is what happened. They began to imitate the, the Lord Jesus Christ, they begin to be imitated by others. The word goes out. It's amazing. It tells us that what happened was that the word about the Thessalonians believing the gospel went north and south. It went everywhere, the news of it. People heard about it, and they heard what happened. Did you hear about what happened in Thessalonica? This guy, the apostle Paul, he's called, came and preached the gospel to them, and they believed this message, and they begin to follow Christ. It seems like these Christians are turning the world upside down because people are believing the message and their lives are being transformed. And so this is why Paul knew that they truly were God's people. They had come to rest their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, in verses 8 through 10, he says, and also because of the way the gospel went out from them. Notice in verse 8, for the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, like I say, that would be to the north and to the south, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything. 
We don't have to tell people about you. We hear them telling each other about you. For they themselves report about us what kind of a reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who is going to rescue us from the wrath to come. And so this word goes out and they become witnesses and their witness spread. The word of God sounded forth. In other words, it just went out in a forceful way to every, in every direction. It was the word of God. It was the very word of God. That's what the gospel is. It's God's word. It's God's. We've talked about this before. It was, it's God's testimony. That's the first thing we hear about Jesus in the Bible, is the father's testimony about his son. For example, in 1 John chapter 5, it talks about how the father has given testimony that Jesus is truly his son. And he who receives his son receives life, eternal life. And so this gospel message has gone out, and their lives were absolutely transformed by it. They turned from idols. If you don't know what an idol is, an idol is something you serve instead of God. It's something that you put in the place of God, and you treat this thing like it was God. Maybe a car. It may be a person. It may be a certain kind of lifestyle. But that's an idol. Now, in the first century, they had little idols that they made, they created and put up, set up in their house that they could bow down to and worship and pray to, which was absurd. Can you imagine praying to a little piece of stone? Wouldn't that be silly? Yes, it is. But we worship a true and living God. And that's what he said about them. They turned from idols to serve the true and living God. A complete transformation. And then they began to, ex- to wait upon the son who was coming to deliver them from the final judgment that's coming on this earth. And so it's, it's a message that's important. It's true, and it's important, and it's something that I need to consider and take in and ruminate on, think about, and realize that this is God's good news to me about his son who is the savior of the world and who will save every single person who will come to him in faith. Simply believe the message about him. Oh, check it out. Check it out. Make sure it's really what the message is, what I've told you. Make sure what the Bible says about this good news of Jesus Christ. The place to start is in a little book called, it's, well, it's a 15-chapter book, letter. It's called 1 Corinthians. You look at 1 Corinthians 15, and you look at the first five or six verses, it will tell you what the gospel is. Very simple, that Jesus came and took our place and died for our sins, that we might be received by the Father and forgiven and made a part of the family of God. And I invite you, if you don't know Christ, to come to Christ today. If you need to talk to somebody, talk to one of your neighbors or talk to us uh, and let us tell you, answer any questions that you have about this good news. It's true. And we have experienced its truth in our lives and in our families' lives. And so God wants you to come. The Bible actually says this. This is 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. God desires that all people be saved. God actually desires to see you come to him in faith and rest your faith in Christ and receive the salvation that he wants to give you. That's what he wants. And let me pray for you right now. Our Father, we bow our hearts and our 
heads before you. We thank you so much for your grace. We thank you for sending Jesus into the world. It was so important to you to save a people that you would send your own son, your own eternal son, to come into the world and to do everything necessary to bring us into fellowship with you, to forgive our sins and to give us life indeed. And so we pray, Father, that you would open our eyes and open our hearts to the truth of the gospel today, that we might rest our faith and our confidence in the only one who is able to save us and make us right with you. We ask that you would do this in Jesus' name. Amen. To respond to this message or learn more, please visit calvarytruth.org.